turn with me to 1 Kings 1, verse 28. I'm going to start at verse 28 and read verses 28 through 40. Then King David said, Call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath, As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed low with her face to the ground, and kneeling before the king said, May my Lord King David live forever. King David said, Call on Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you and set Solomon my son on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen, may the Lord, the God of my lord the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my lord King David. So Zadok the priest Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Carathites and the Pelathites went down and put Solomon on King David's mule and escorted him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then the people sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him and playing flutes and rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with the sound. Let me pray. Father, we come hearing the people of the Old Testament cry, Long live the King. A bold declaration of faith in your promise that you are the God, the King of Israel. You are the one who has seated your King on his throne. And yet, Lord, it is also a prayer of submission. And so, Lord, I pray that we today would be able to, to join our voices, to raise our voices to declare you as our Lord, as our King, our Protector, our Guide, our Savior, and our Rescuer. Lord, let us submit our lives, submit ourselves, giving, giving all that we have to you. For your power and glory and majesty are great. Your love and compassion are on display. And so, Lord, for those who do not know Jesus Christ as their King, Lord, I pray that as we read your word, we would see his greatness and his glory we would submit ourselves. Lord, that you would grant faith to those who've, who have come in without faith in Christ. Lord, that you would allow them to turn from sin and find their hope in Jesus, the Savior. Lord, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. The coronation of a monarch is a public spectacle. The full power and majesty of the kingdom are on display. On June 2nd, 1953, Queen Elizabeth II was crowned Queen of the United Kingdom. 8,000 guests, heads of state, and dignitaries filled Westminster Abbey. 
129 nations were represented in that room. The 27-year-old queen was crowned and anointed with oil. Millions watched on TV. Millions had gone out in post-war Britain to, to purchase TVs specifically for this event. It would, be, it would be broadcast live, despite the queen's initial hesitation. The most intimate segments of the anointing were kept from the broadcast, the holy anointing of the queen, her solid gold crown placed on her head filled with diamonds, emeralds, rubies, sapphires, and pearls. After the three-hour service, she was greeted on the streets by tens of thousands of her subjects, cheering as she went past in her gilded golden stagecoach. And this queen is now the world's longest reigning monarch. Her coronation displayed the pageantry and power of an entire kingdom. And here, in 1 Kings 1, we have, we have a glimpse of that kind of power. No, they didn't have months to plan like they did for Queen Elizabeth's, uh, her coronation. This was done with great haste. For a, a rebel son has already set himself up, having a feast just down the hill. He, Adonijah, has anointed himself, has made himself king, declared himself to be king. His father, David, is weak. On his deathbed, he has barely spoken. He is inactive. And so, when the prophet, when Nathan arises to bring to the king's attention the fact that another is, is taking the throne, another will break the promise, the oath of the king, finally, David acts. As we see first in this passage, the coronation of the king. David had made an oath to Bathsheba, an oath before the Lord that Solomon, Bathsheba's son, would become the king. Now every time you hear her name, every time David calls her into his throne room, you are reminded of David's great sin against her, of David's sin against God, of David the king in the, in the, the coolness of the spring when he should have been out with his, with his army. He has called this woman. He has desired her. And so, so even to speak her name is to remind us of this king's brokenness. But the king has done nothing. He has not made public the announcement that Solomon will be king. And so Adonijah appears to have a greater claim to the throne. He is, he is an older brother, an older half-brother of Solomon, and so he makes himself king. And it appears, and we saw this last week, that David is incompetent, impotent, unable to respond until the prophet Nathan arises. Nathan goes to Bathsheba, announcing that Adonijah has made himself king, and Nathan is willing to advise and instruct her on how they should get the king up out of bed to act. And so Bathsheba goes into the king, and we see this. You can see this back in, in, in the earlier part of this chapter. Bathsheba went in, we see this in verse 15, to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag the Shunammite was attending him. And in verse 16 of our chapter, Bathsheba bowed low and knelt before the king. What is it you want? The king asked. In, in, the, in the Hebrew there, it's only two syllables that he can speak. 
He is so weak, he can only, he can only exhale with, with just the shortest of statements. He cannot act, it appears. And so Bathsheba, with the, the plan of Nathan the prophet, describes that Adonijah has, has taken the throne. He's attempting a coup. He's, he's pushing Solomon aside. And this is not merely a threat to the oath of David. This is a threat to Solomon's own life. For he will be the greatest competitor to the throne. And the way in the ancient world that you deal with competitors to your throne is you eliminate them. And so Bathsheba describes what needs to take place. And then while she's still in there, Nathan the prophet arrives on cue, sent by the Lord to, to, to confirm what Bathsheba has told him. He describes the great feast that Adonijah is having. He, he says that, that the people are gathered with Adonijah and they are, they are crying out, long live King Adonijah. And then finally, Finally, in, our, in the verse that we began it, verse 28, finally the king has enough strength to act. Not enough strength to get up out of bed, not enough strength to lead the procession down to the spring, not enough to anoint David, to anoint his son king in his place, but David has enough power now to finally sit up and speak. And we read in verse 28 that the king took an oath and, and he says, as surely as the Lord lives who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. I mean, not only has David appeared incompetent up to this point, but, but God has appeared absent from this narrative. It's Adonijah who has been plotting and scheming. But finally, David calls on the name of the Lord, remembering all that God has done for him, delivering him out of every trouble. And so he swears to the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, the one who has made the promise with him. He is the God of Israel. He tells, he, he, he gives the plan then. We see this in, in verse 32, where David says, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. Now Zadok, his, just his, his job title is given to us clearly. He is a priest of Israel. And so the priest is being called to anoint the next king. Nathan the prophet is familiar to us. Just when things seem lost in this story, God raises up his man, Nathan the prophet. It's, it's the same thing that happened back in, in the previous book of 2 Samuel. Just when things seem lost, when, when, Nathan, when David was lost in his sin, having covered up his sin with murder and lies and scheming, Nathan the prophet steps onto the scene to show the, the power of God and the word of God. And then we're introduced here to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. Benaiah is one of the mighty warriors of David. If you take time to, to read what he, what he has done, he has defeated giants. He has gone into battle against, against the mightiest warriors of the nations, and he has been victorious. And do you see what, what David is doing? He's, he's counteracting what, what Adonijah had done in the previous chapter, trying to get the, the, the military commander, trying to get the priest to, to, to declare his power a, a different priest. And so David has his prophet. He has 
the, the priest of God and the representative of his army, one of his mighty warriors, the prophet, priest, and the king's representative will be there to anoint Solomon. And so Bathsheba, hearing the, the good news that David will act, she, she shouts out, look at verse 31, May my Lord King David live forever. It, it, it's a word of great hope. Because the one to whom she speaks it can't get out of his bed. May my Lord King David live forever. She's not foolish to think that, that he will live forever, this frail and feeble man in front of her. What she is declaring is that the promise given to David, the kingdom of David, will last forever because he has acted in faith, responding to the promise of God. When Benaiah, the, the great warrior, hears the plan, look at verse 36. What does he do? He just bursts into praise. Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the King, so declare it. Amen. Let it be. He is, he is rejoicing in, in what God is doing here. And Benaiah continues in his praise with, with this hope in God's work. Look at verse 37. As the Lord was with my Lord, the King, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord King David. And so then we see the scene. The prophet, the priest, the king's representative go with the mighty warriors, the Carathites, the Pelethites. They are the, the king's royal guard, his, his closest allies, the ones who would not abandon him to Adonijah. They take Solomon, they put him on King David's mule on the king's royal steed, the representative, that this is the choice of David, the king. They take the oil from the sacred tent and they pour it on Solomon. Then they sound the trumpet and all the people, look at verse 39, all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. And the people went up with him playing flutes, rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with the sound. The public spectacle, the power of the kingdom, the work of God on display in the anointing of Solomon the king. And yet all of these details here are, are, are pointing us that, that you and I still need an even greater king. I mean, that was the, 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 the praise of Benaiah. That was his, his desire. We saw it in verse 37, that the, the, the throne, the, the majesty, the power of Solomon will be even greater than that of David. David puts Solomon on his own mule. A, a strange detail to us, to our modern ears. Likely a, a symbol of, of royal authority, the, the king riding on this mule. And Zadok uses the, the oil, the sacred oil, from the tabernacle to, to show that it's God's blessing that pours out onto Solomon. And all of these details are meant to point us forward to an even greater king. For the people are anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And what does that word mean? What does that Hebrew description, what does that title mean? The anointed one. And so Jesus is not, not anointed with the, the oil of the sacred temple. Think of it. Jesus, at his baptism, is anointed with the Holy Spirit himself. The Spirit of God descends out of heaven onto Jesus at his coronation. Jesus, the, the king who comes riding 
on the royal steed. I mean, think of the way Zechariah, the, the, the prophet, will, will capture this image, and, and Matthew, the gospel writer, will describe Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. We see Jesus coming into the, the city of Jerusalem, and we're, we're told that he is placed on a, on a donkey. He is placed on this beast of burden to ride into the city. The people shout their, their, their songs of acclamation. And what Matthew tells us in, in Matthew 21, that all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus, the king, is placed on the, on the royal symbol of, of authority and power. He has marched into the city of Jerusalem just like Solomon before him. The people gather and shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus himself tells us that he is the greater king. Again, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is, is the, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders come to Jesus and say, do something to prove to us that you, you really are this king. You really are the rescuer. You really are the Messiah. Now, the absurdity of their question is that's what Jesus has been doing again and again in the gospel, giving them signs to prove who he is. And so he tells them that, that he, he gives them the sign that, that he will die and be raised on the third day. But, but then he tells them, he says that, that, that there will be a judgment which, which comes, and so they need to listen, listen to the wisdom of the Old Testament, listen to Solomon's wisdom, and then Jesus declares himself to be one greater than Solomon. He says to the, the, the religious leaders, now one greater than Solomon is here. The king riding on the royal symbol of authority, the king anointed with the Spirit of God, the king, the great king, the promised king, Jesus the Messiah, is here. Do you see the arrival of the king? Can you lift your voice and shout, long live the king? And yet our hearts, our hearts resist the power of God, the work of God. Look again with me at, at 1 Kings chapter 1. This public spectacle brings the rejoicing of the people so much so that, that even the ground shook with the sound. But then listens, listen to what happens to Adonijah, the one who has tried to, to establish himself as king in Solomon's place. Go back with me to 1 Kings 1. Let me, let me begin reading in verse 41. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feast. On hearing the sound of the trumpet, Joab asked, What's the meaning of all the noise in the city? Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, arrived. Adonijah said, Come in. A worthy man like you must be bringing good news. Not at all, Jonathan answered. Our Lord, King David, has made Solomon king. The king has sent him with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Beniah, son of Jehoiada, the Carathites and the Pelethites, and they have put him on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. From there they have gone up cheering, and the city resounds with it. That's the noise you hear. Moreover, Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne. 
Also, the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship on his bed and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. At this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. But Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then Solomon was told, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, is clinging to the horns of the altar. He says, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon replied, if he shows himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. Then, Solomon, then King Solomon sent men, and they brought him down from the altar. And Adonijah came and bowed down to King Solomon. And Solomon said, Go to your home. See, the people of Israel and Judah understand that the, the, the coronation of Solomon is good news for them. And yet it is terrible news for Adonijah. He is now guilty of treason. His great plans have fallen apart in the middle of his party. They hear the shouting in the city, in the middle of his celebration. He has has put everything in place. This was the perfect path to the throne for him. The great party here in the valley, and he will go up and take his father's throne. For what is David going to do? Nothing. There is no one to stand in his way. But during his celebration, the messenger comes to announce that Solomon is king. All of the people have already acknowledged it. There is is no time for anything to be done. He's already on the throne. The people of the nation have already rejoiced in, in this good news. Now you see what the partygoers are quick to do. They get up and run. Maybe they grabbed a piece of cake on their way out. Maybe they grabbed the party favors, but they run. Because they don't want to be here. What's the next thing that's likely to happen? The king is going to deal with this mess. And Adonijah is not king. It's clear through the the passage, even the messenger himself, even the messenger when he says, no, no, I'm not bringing good news. Look at verse 43. He can't help but declare that David is king, that Solomon is king. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. This is what is true, what has happened. God has acted decisively. He describes the scene. God aligned everything perfectly. The prophet, the priest, the representatives of the king were all there. He has already ridden up into the city. He is seated on the throne. There is nothing you can do. And so the partygoers scramble, hoping that the, 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 the photographer didn't capture them in any of the shots, that maybe their name isn't on the list, that they can get away with it. But Adonijah knows there is no getting away with what he has done. And so what does he do? We're told that, that he flees to the altar. In verse 50, in fear of Solomon, 
in fear because he knows what the punishment for this kind of rebellion, this kind of anarchy, this kind of coup will be. And so he flees into the temple of God and he grabs hold of the corners of the altar. Surely he won't spill my blood here. That's his hope. That here in this sacred place, this place of animal sacrifice, I will be protected. And, th- and there's a clear irony in the way the, the way the story is told because, yes, this is history, but remember, it's a story. You're meant, to, you're meant to hear it as it unfolds. There's a clear irony. At the beginning of the chapter, Adonijah seems to be the one with all the power and with all of the knowledge. And King David is powerless and without any knowledge. Until we get to the end of the chapter and Adonijah is the last to hear. He thinks that his celebration is really his royal ascension. And yet he's unaware that God is already on the move. God has already accomplished the the, the purposes of raising King Solomon, of keeping the promise that he made to David. Adonijah has rebelled against God's authority, and he's acted as if he knows everything there is to know. And yet his foolishness is exposed. Now, when we hear the Old Testament stories, we, we are meant to, when we hear this story, we are meant to clearly side with Solomon in this royal dispute, this dispute between the sons, because Solomon is the one to whom the promise was given by God. We are, we are meant to lift our voices with the people of Israel and announce, long live King Solomon. But, but because the way, that's the way the story is told, we might, we might be, be quick to d- dismiss Adonijah. Because his actions are shown to be obviously foolish. Who did he think he was? He thought he could pull one over on David, the, the feeble and frail old man who doesn't seem to be, know even what's happening outside his own room. But he really thought he could pull this over on God himself. And yet, that's how we act. That's the, the very definition of sin, is to think, I can get away with this. I know that that, that God has a different plan, but you know what? I know better than God. Now, when you stop and put sin in those terms, it sounds really stupid. I'm smarter than God is really what you're saying. I know more than God. We do it when we doubt God's promises, when we think, I know more than God knows. When When we look at the providences of God in our lives, perhaps even the dark and painful providences, the things that have happened in our life that bring us to tears. And we look at them and and, and we we doubt God's promises. Do you see we're acting like Adonijah then saying, everything that I know is all there is to be known. I see the facts in front of me and so I can make a decision. I can tell God he's doing it wrong. That's what worry and fear and anxiety are. are. Us looking at God and saying, God, you're getting this wrong. That's the action of Adonijah. We act like we're the ones with all of the knowledge, but, but perhaps that's even how you act, even if, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian. Perhaps that's how you act when, when, when you come into church and think, this idea that Jesus is the great priest, that Jesus is the great king, that Jesus is the great prophet, that Jesus is the only way, that just doesn't sound like the way I would make the universe work. That's not how religion works, you might be thinking to yourself. You might think, aren't, aren't all of the different religions of the world, don't they all eventually get us to the peak, the pinnacle of the mountain? 
And so it doesn't matter that you can't see the path on the other side of the mountain. It, it gets you to the top. And, and initially, this idea appears to be humble. That all of these paths will get you there. That, that the, the Christian claim that Jesus is the only way, that sounds like the arrogant claim. Except to make the claim that all of the paths get to the top of the mountain, what do you need to be able to do? What do you need to be able to see? You are the map maker. You are the one who can look down on this from, from the God's eye view, from the satellite, and see how all of these paths make it to the top of the mountain. And so what you end up saying, when you throw up your hands and say, you know what, we just can't make a decision about the religions of the world. You know what, Christianity is, is arrogant to claim Jesus is the only way. It, it initially appears humble, but it is the most arrogant claim because what you are saying is, I know more than God. Because God is the one who provided a rescue. God is the one who, who redeemed us and saved us. And you're saying, God, your plan, it's not good enough. See, God, I have the, the view that, that you should have had. You see, that's an, an arrogant claim, but that's what we, we do in our hearts. When we act as if what we know right now is all there is to know. Don't you see that God shows Adonijah to be the foolish rebel against his authority and against his promises? So Adonijah's only hope is to flee to the offer, to the altar. His, his, his reprieve will be merely temporary. It won't last another chapter. He will walk away from that altar, but he will not walk away, for he has rebelled against the king. And yet the forgiveness that is offered to us today through the greater king, the one promised is a forgiveness that lasts forever. Jesus has shown us his power and his love on the cross. He's shown us that he is the one who is the victorious king over sin and death. He is the anointed king. The spirit of God was poured out on him in the fullness of God. Jesus is the king crowned with a crown of thorns, pressed into his flesh as he is mocked and led to the cross. Jesus is the king crowned with glory now. And so you and I are meant to, in this story, raise our voices to the promise of God. Long live King Solomon. Long live King David. And yet we know that these are men who are dead and buried. And so our hearts long and this story points us to that truth that there is a king whose reign is eternal. The one who fulfills that promise given to David. King Jesus who reigns now in heaven. And so lift your voice with the words of scripture and declare, long live King Jesus. Let me pray for us as we come to this table. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of the gospel in the power of your word, which is on display. Lord, we come to this table because of what Jesus Christ, our eternal king, has done for us. He is the one who died in our place. He is the one who has been raised from the dead. He is our rescuer and our savior. So, Father, we give you thanks for the work of the gospel. We pray that having heard your word, we would respond in faith. Lord, that we would turn from sin, turn from our foolishness, that our stubborn hearts would, would relent 
in coming to you and declaring Jesus to be our King. Lord, pour out your grace on us. Show us your power and your mercy. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.